It's good to be here, and, and let's turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter number 1. Nehemiah chapter number 1. Very familiar story. If you've been in church very long, or, or maybe even in the kids' class, you've heard about Nehemiah and what he did. This morning, I'm going to preach about a man who made the most out of his homecoming. A man that made the most out of his homecoming. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse number 1, if you'll stand to honor the reading of God's word. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse number 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. The Bible says this, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Chishlu that in the 20th year, as I was in the Shushan, the palace, that Haniah, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left, the captivity, there in the providence, are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept, and mourned certain days, and fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for this morning for the opportunity to be in your house. God, I thank you for each one that's gathered here. Lord, I just pray that you will bless them for their effort. God, if there are any visitors, any guests here this morning, I just pray that you will bless them. God, give them a desire to come back into your house. God, we praise you for them. Lord, I just pray that as the word goes out, Lord, that it would move upon people. And God, as we uh, open up the book of Nehemiah and unpack his story, God, that you would just let us see, Lord, what one man can do when he has a vision from God. I just pray that you would touch, Lord. God, use me as your vessel this morning. Let the Holy Spirit do the preaching. God, let me not waste one word, Lord, one breath out of my mouth this morning. But God, that everything that's said would be for your glory. Lord, I just pray that you would give me clarity of mind, clarity of speech this morning. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. We don't know a whole lot about Nehemiah. I like to usually give a background on folks. But all we know is one thing about Nehemiah, and that is this, that he had a father. That's all it tells us about Nehemiah. If you read, go into verse 1 and you read it, it, all it says is that he was a certain man's father. Now, how many of you here have a father? Some of you don't have a father. Well, that kind of worries me this morning. But, but Nehemiah had a father, and that's all we know about him. So I would like to just open this up by saying that we know, if you know anything about the book of Nehemiah, that he does a great thing. But I want you to understand this morning that he didn't have a wonderful lineage. That he didn't have the greatest background. He didn't have, it doesn't say that he had all this training and all these things going for him. All it said is that he was a man that was in the palace serving the king. Now I want you to understand that when we, when we find Nehemiah, that he's just minding his own business one day, business as usual in the palace, and suddenly one of his brothers shows up. Suddenly one of the guys comes back from Jerusalem. Now to give you some context of what's going on with Jerusalem right now is that, that most of the children of Israel are in Babylonian captivity. And the reason that they are in Babylonian captivity is because they turned their back on the Word of God. Because they had turned their back and stopped listening to God. They had stopped doing what God told them to do. They had stopped serving and they had stopped worshiping God. 
So if you read on into the, the Old Testament, you'll know that God sent several prophets. He sent Ezekiel, he sent Isaiah, and he even sent Jeremiah down to try to warn the people and to try to tell the people, hey, if you don't turn from your wicked ways, I'm going to punish you. And they didn't listen to what the men of God had to say. And so that's where we find the children of Israel when we get to the book of Nehemiah is that they are in Babylonian captivity. And not only are they there, but Nehemiah is at the very top. He's at the very pinnacle of the people. He's a children, one of the children of God, but yet he is in the king's palace. Now I want to say this this morning, that God had put him in a place where he wanted him that day. God's providence had lined it up so that Nehemiah could be in the presence of the king. But his brother comes. I don't know if this is his literal brother. We don't know or just one of the other brothers of the children of Israel. And he comes and Nehemiah asks him a question. He says, how is or how are things going back home? How, how are the people back home? And his brother starts to paint a grim picture of what had happened to Jerusalem. He says, well, Nehemiah, he says in, in verse number 3 and verse number 4, he said that number 1, he said they're in great affliction and reproach. What he meant by that is there was not much to eat and that there was constantly people attacking them and, and that the things just generally were not going well back in Jerusalem. Not only that, he said, but to make matters worse, not only are the people doing bad, he said, he said but the city's not doing that great. The city has been torn down, the walls have been torn down, and the gates are burned, and, and, and everything's just, just pretty much going bad. And so this bothered Nehemiah. I want you to understand that when Nehemiah heard the condition of how his homeland was, that it, that it struck a nerve with him, that it hit him in a, such a way that it says in verse number 4, it says, And I came to pass, and it came to pass when I heard these words, he said that I sat down and I wept. And mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now if you read verse number 5, I'll read it. Keep your Bibles handy, by the way, this morning. I'm going to preach through the entire book, so just bear with me this morning. But verse 5 says, And I said, I beseech thee, Lord God of heaven, and great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. He said, Let thine ear be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant. Nehemiah decided that day, that very day, that when he heard that bad news, he got down to business and he got serious. Now, you know that homecoming, you, you want a homecoming to be a great and a happy day, don't you? I do. I, I like homecomings. I like church homecomings, and not just because we have food and all that. That's why a lot of people come, but I enjoy thinking about the things that had happened in the past. And, 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 but if we're not careful, sometimes we'll, we'll over-glorify the past, won't we? We'll, we'll put too much stock in it. We'll say, well, well, things are not as good as they used to be. You ever heard anybody say that? See, old people like Cecil, I, I, you know, he can remember the, the 40s and the 50s, can't you, brother? He wasn't born until the 50s, I don't think, or the 60s. But, but we always tend to think in terms of, well, the past was great and the past was wonderful. And no doubt Nehemiah thought that too. Nehemiah thought back and he, he looked back in time. He said, hey, I can remember that my dad used to tell me stories and my grandpa told me stories of how wonderful and, and how bright the temple was and how wonderful uh, Jerusalem and how great of a city it was. And now look at it. Now, now I've heard about it. It's in ruin and the people are afflicted, and, and it's been torn down, and it's been burned down, and it broke Nehemiah's heart. And these days, it, it breaks in a lot of people's heart at the condition of the church, does it not? Amen? 
Some of you agree with me. I, I get heartbroken to see the condition of churches these days, to see the condition uh, of what's going on and, and, and the things that have happened. I feel like that, that sometimes the people of God, they're afflicted. Don't you agree with that? that? That the walls have been broken down and the gates have been burned. And it seems like things are, are not going that great sometimes for the church. But I tell you what, it only took one man to do something about that. Do you see that? We see Nehemiah, he got concerned and so he started praying. And so in, in chapter number 2, if you'll fast forward with me to chapter number 2, it says, And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing that thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid, and I said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad? Nehemiah is about to tell his story. He says, When the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. And it says, And then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? Now let's not skip over what Nehemiah does right here. The king has just given ear to Nehemiah. The king, this very powerful king, Artaxerxes, could have just killed Nehemiah for being sad in his presence. But it says that the king gave him ear. And he said, what is your request? And so what does Nehemiah do? Does he open his mouth and start talking immediately? No, he does not. It says in verse number 4, So I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah stopped for just a moment and he said, God, give me the words right here that I need to say to the king. Now there's a very important lesson right there. That before you ever open your mouth, you need to make sure that what you're going to say is seasoned with prayer. Amen? Nehemiah was about to open his mouth. He had the audience of one of the most powerful human beings on earth at this time. And so he prayed to God and he says, And I said to the king, If it please the king... And if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. Remember, Nehemiah didn't have such an impressive heritage like David did or like Solomon did or like these guys that had originally started working on the city of God. But what Nehemiah did is he looked back at his homeland and he said, there's a problem. He says, I see a problem. I see an issue at home. He said, and if nobody else is going to do anything about it, then I am. You think about it, his brother had come from Jerusalem. So that means one thing, that there were Jews back in Jerusalem. Not only were there Jews, but there were priests back there. Why was somebody else not doing something about the problem? Well, I don't really have an answer to that. But I do know this, that when Nehemiah got concerned, he got down and he got serious and he had a godly resolve that day that he was going to do something about the city that had been destroyed, the city that had been torn down. And so we'll go on very quickly in the story. And so we know that Nehemiah gathers up and he heads back towards Jerusalem. And he gets there and, and, and don't, on down in, in chapter 2, he gets there and he starts surveying the city. He starts looking around and he sees just how bad the condition of the city is. Now, uh, you know, as, as I told last week, that I just came back from Jerusalem about two weeks ago. 
And so I saw the city and I saw the walls and how high they were. And, and, and Tanner was with me and he would, would definitely agree with me that if, if those walls would have been laying in ruin, that it would have been an absolute impossible task for one man to say, you know what, I can get some people together and fix this. Now, I consider myself to be quite the handyman sometimes, and, and, and Cecil's a good handyman, and some of you in here are good handymen, but none of you could look at a city that had been destroyed, and you said, no, what, you know what? I'm going to put these rocks back on top of each other. I'm going to do something about it. But Nehemiah said that. So in verse number 17, he gathers the people together. And he says, and then I said unto them, you see how the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. He says, come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. See, people were laughing at the condition of the city of God. People would go by and they would say, you know, I remembered when that was a great place. I remember when Jerusalem, it, it was nice. But now look at them with their walls torn down and their gates burning and all this reproach has come upon them and people were just just laughing at them. They were a reproach to the people. And I feel like that, that you can translate that to today. You can apply that to the church today. That sometimes people are just laughing at us, aren't they? They're saying, oh, look at those, those crazy people there at that church this morning. Look at them. They're just, they're just foolish people. And it seems like sometimes we're a reproach. But Nehemiah said, no more will we be a reproach. Verse number 18, he says, then I told them, of the hand of my God which was upon me. As also the king's word that he has spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened to their hands for this good work. The people of God decided because one man had stepped out and said, hey, there's a problem. Hey, there's an issue. Hey, we're being a reproach. We're just being made fun of. Let's put a stop to it. So one man stood up. And he says, hey, and he rallied the troops and he gathered them together. And what did they say? Did they say, no, Nehemiah, it's been like this for years. We're just going to let it ride out. We're just going to go on to glory. No. They said, we're going to do something about it. And so the people, it said that they strengthened their hands for the work. This was not going to be an easy task. This job was not going to be easy. Just because God's hand was on it didn't mean that God was going to lift the blocks and lift the bricks and stand them on, up on top of each other. These people had to put some elbow grease to it. These people had to get to work and had to actually get out and do something. But God blessed it. Do you know how I know God blessed it? Because they built a wall around the entire city of Jerusalem in 52 days. And not even two months, in less than two months, in about six weeks, those people got to work and they built the wall around the city of Jerusalem in 52 days. And you know how they did it? Every man in that city, every family in that city, if you lived on this section of the wall, you built right there. Here's an application for that. When you go to do your work for God, when God tells you to get up and do something, you do what's in front of you. You do that work that's in front of you. You just do your part of the wall. If you'll do your part, God will bless it. We got a lot of people that are trying to do other people's parts. Did you know that? My section of the wall can't get built if I'm over here working on somebody else's section of the wall. 
See, God gives everybody in the church a job to do. God has given everybody here something to do. It may not be a big job. It may, it may just be to carry something around. You know, these people, they weren't all stacking blocks. Some of them were just bringing water to the workers. Some of them were just over there mixing up mortar. But everybody had a mind to work. Everybody put their hand to the plow and they started working for the cause of rebuilding what was torn down. And they got to work and they rebuilt what was in front of them. And God blessed it. God put his hand upon it. And suddenly, before you know it, a wall started to appear. You know, it didn't start out as a wall. I'm sure that they started looking around one day and said, Hey, we got half a wall here. And that just gave them that second wind so that they could continue to work. You see the resolve of Nehemiah. You see the resolve of the people of God. But I want you to see this, that any time that God's work is being done, that any time God's people get up and decide to do something, the enemy's going to be waiting. The enemy is going to be right there, and he's not going to like what he sees. So you go into verse number 10 of chapter 2, and it says, When Sanballat... And Tobiah the servant of the Amorite heard of it. It grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. You go on and you move into chapter number 4 and verse number 1. It grieved this man Samballot. And it said, but it came to pass that when Samballot heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth. And he took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and said, and the army of Samaria, and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which was burned? He started making fun of them. He started ridiculing them. He started laughing at them. And it says, Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him. And so he joined in and he said, Even that which they built, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. The enemy started resisting the people of God. Anytime God's work is going to be done, the enemy is going to be working against it. I want you to understand that. God has an enemy and his name is Satan. Did you know that? And it seems like the world is, is starting to glorify Satan these days. seems that they're lifting him up, that, that, that they're just putting him high on a pedestal. You know why? Because the Bible says he's the God of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. And, and even though they ridiculed and even though they mocked and even though they made fun, verse 4 says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. And turn their reproach upon their own head. And give them for a prey in the hand of captivity. Nehemiah was not deterred by what was going on. Nehemiah was not discouraged because somebody had started making fun of him. Started laughing at him and started saying, Well, a little old fox can go up the side of their wall and it's going to tear it down. There was resistance from the outside. And so many times they sent letters, and I won't read it all, but there's so many times that, that Tobiah and, and, and Samuel and all these, the armies of Samaria were there. And it got so bad that at one point Nehemiah had to stop the work temporarily, and he had to say, all right, guys, you're going to have to work with this hand and fight with this hand. It says that they had, they had something in this hand to work with, and in the other hand they had a sword, and they literally had to fight for their lives while they built this wall. That's pretty serious business, isn't it? 
I think sometimes if we're not careful, we spend all our time fighting and no time working. You agree with that? See, they never would have got the wall built had they not continued to work with this hand. But the people fought back. The people fought the forces of Satan and everything that was coming at them from the outside, the resistance of the enemy, they fought back. But not only was there resistance on the outside, there was also resistance on the inside. Does that sound familiar? Sometimes you're trying to do a work. Sometimes you're trying to do good things for God. And you always got a critic, don't you? Amen. Some of you, some of you, if you didn't say amen, maybe you're the critic. How about that? Well, that makes somebody mad, won't it? But that'll be okay because that's just the truth. I'm just telling the truth this morning. That these people were working as hard as they could. I mean, they, they weren't sitting around, they weren't, they weren't, I bet they weren't even hardly taking lunch breaks. And then somebody stood up and and the and it what it was the rich Jews, and they had bought. The, the poor Jews out of house and home. And they said, hey, you need to come work for us. And God put into the heart of the, the rich Jews to try to put a stop to the work. Sometimes their resistance is from the inside. And Nehemiah had to stamp that out. Nehemiah had to put a stop to that and say, hey, we're all on the same team here. That's what Nehemiah had to say. You know, we got to understand that, church, that if, if the work is going to be done for God, if we're going to rebuild the walls, if we're going to put up the things that, that God has given us and take care of them, we have to realize, we have to understand, we're all on the same team here. I, I'm not your enemy. The church down the road is not your enemy. If they preach the Bible, if they preach Jesus, they're on your side. We don't need to tear them down. We need to build them up. We need to spend some time getting in fellowship with each other and, and, and getting in with each other and saying, hey, God's got a work to be done here in Cookville, Tennessee. These guys right here, they're from a church across town. But you know what? They're working on their end of the wall over there. They're doing what they can over there. And it's our job to do what we can right here where we are at. God has put us here for a purpose. And even though things have, it seems to have gotten bad in the world and things are kind of falling apart and people are making fun of the church, that's okay. Just get to work anyways. Just do your job. This one man said, I don't care what's going on. I don't care who's saying what. I'm going to do what I can for the Lord. I'm going to do what I can for God. No matter, despite the resistance, despite what people say, I'm going to do my part for the Lord. One man stood up. One man looked at that and he, had, he, was, he was compassionate towards Jerusalem. And he goes and he starts working. Sure, he found resistance. Sure, there was a pushback, but he persevered. He pushed on through and the wall was built in 52 days. Now normally, that's where the sermon ends for the most part. Normally most preachers stop preaching right here, but that's not the end of what happened in the book of Nehemiah. We've only gotten to chapter 4 and 5. You see that, that when the wall was built, and when the, after 52 days, I want you to understand this was a miracle of God. It was an absolute miracle of God that they had built that wall in 52 days. And what happened is when those people saw what God had done, it, it stirred something up in them. You ever saw, have you ever seen God do anything great in your life? Have you, has God ever done anything great in your life and you, and you just stop and say, hey, if it hadn't have been for God, that wouldn't have happened. 
That wouldn't have got done. There, there's no other way. No human could have done that. No, no, nothing besides God could have done that. And these people looked around and they saw that God had done something miraculous. And so what's the first thing that they did? They went and got the law of God. They went and got the word of God. Chapter 8. Turn over to chapter 8. After the wall was finished... And they had written down and they had taken a census of all the people that had worked on it. And I'll spare you reading the census. But it says in chapter 8, verse number 1, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man in the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord God had commanded in his, to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation both of men and women, and all they could hear with understanding upon the first day of the, 17th, of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street and was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Now he stood up on a pulpit, it says in verse number 4. And if you skip on to verse number 5, and it says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Have you ever wondered why we stand on to the reading of God's Word? Nehemiah chapter 8, verse number 5 is why we do that. Because when God's Word is read, we need to honor that. See, I want you to understand that the reason that these Jews, the reason these, these people were in the condition that they were in is because they had neglected the Word of God. They had neglected the law of God. God had given them commandments. God had given them laws. And the reason that they're in captivity is because of this, because they had neglected it. And so all of a sudden, they see God move in a miraculous fashion. And I don't know how it happened, but, but in my mind's eye, I, I see it playing out like this, that, that suddenly they're looking around and they say, hey, God did this. Hey, somebody told me that God had a book. Does anybody know about God's book? Does anybody know about the law of God? And, and Ezra says, hey, I know about it. It's back there. It's, it's, I hid it when they tore the temple down. And they went and they got it and they opened it. And it said that everybody... Man, woman, boy, girl, child, old people, everybody came as one man and they gathered in the street and they sat there from morning until midday. My goodness, we can't get people to pay attention for 30 minutes. And they sat there for about six hours. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. Y'all care if I preach for six hours today? We'll take a recess and go eat and then come back. How about that? But these people, they got serious about it. And so the last thing that I want you to see is that after God had done this miraculous thing, I want you to see the return to the Word of God and the return to the will of God. That after one man had stood up and said, Hey, I've got to do something about this, that the people came and they said, Hey, God's got something for us. God's still alive. God's still moving in the midst. Did you know God's still alive today? God's still moving in people despite things that are happening, despite everything that seems to be going wrong. God is still alive, and he's still sitting on his throne, and he can still speak to his people. Amen? You know how he's going to do that? Through his word. Through his word. They say, well, he speaks to you through the preacher. Well, where do you think I get what I've got? I get it from his word. Amen? And if I get it from anywhere else, boy, I've messed up. 
So the people start listening to the word of God. And it says in verse number 6 of chapter 8, and we're almost done, and it says, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen and Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads, and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. When they got when the word of God was read that these people were so touched by it, they were so moved by it, that they said, Amen, they started praising the Lord, and then all of a sudden something moved upon them, and they just started to worship. Maybe Ezra read about how God had created the earth. Maybe the, the Ezra read about how awesome God was and how that he had moved upon Moses and Joshua and all these people and all these miracles that God had done. I don't know what he read, but whatever it was, these people got a hold of it. And the law of God was read, the book of God was read, and these people began to worship God for how great and how awesome that he is. I want you to understand that if you'll get in the Word of God and you'll start reading it and you'll study it and you don't even have to go to the hard part, just go to the good part, you know, the easy stuff to understand. And if you read the Word and you're serious about it and you read it prayerfully, you'll, you'll begin to worship God. You'll begin to read that Word and, and you'll see what God has done for you and what God has done for us and you'll start to lift Him up and you'll say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me simply from getting in the Word of God. And not only that, but these people also got into the will of God. One more place, I'll have you turn. Chapter 9, verse number 1. Chapter 9, verse number 1. Now they've been doing this for a while now. And it says, Now in the twenty and fourth day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloths and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers. There's a lesson right there that they, they got out of the world. They separated themselves. They, they came out from among the world and showed themselves to be a separate people. And it says that they separated themselves from strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Not only did they get this. I, I love the way that that verse reads. It says they confessed their sins and then they confessed the iniquities of their fathers. How would you like that if your children started confessing your sins for you? Wouldn't that be good? Some of you fathers in here, Brother Cecil, how would you like it if Andrew stood up and started confessing your sins? I'm sure he's seen you sin, you reckon? <laughs> and they got so convicted. These people got so in tune with God that they confessed their sins. And they started saying, God, we're sorry for what our fathers did. God, we're sorry that our fathers turned their back on you. And that's the reason we got here today. They said, God, we're sorry. And they confessed their sins. And it says, and they stood up in their place and read the book of the law of the Lord their God one-fourth part of the day. And another fourth part, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. These people got back in the will of God. When Nehemiah came and he did this wonderful work for God, these people came and they rebuilt the wall and they started rebuilding the city and they put the priest in place and they got back where God wanted them. The people repented of their sins and said, God, we're sorry for what we've done. God, we're sorry that we let this happen. God, we're, we're sorry for our sin. They confessed and repented of their sin. Why did they do that? Because one man came home and decided to do something about it. Because one man decided that he was going to make a difference in the kingdom of God. 
He could have easily been discouraged from the very front of it. What if Nehemiah would have just said, oh, I heard about the bad stuff and, and I got down and said, well, that's unfortunate. I hate to hear that and not done anything. But that's not the story we read. Nehemiah got up and he prayed and he got in God's will himself. And then he went, he, he gathered the troops up. He stirred some other people up and God blessed it. One man had to get where God wanted him, and God just continued to bless the rest of it. If we're going to do anything as a church here at Cookville Free Will Baptist, we need some people to get where God wants them, and then I guarantee, without a shadow of a doubt, God will bless his work. God wants to bless his work. We need to quit doing things and, asking God, and ask God to bless it. We need to start doing what God's blessing, don't we? Just do, what, just do what the Word of God says. If we can do what the Word of God says, God will bless it. But it's going to take some people standing up, confessing of their sins. That's one of the first things they did. They said, oh, wait a minute. Before we go any further in the work of God, we need to get rid of this sin that's on us. We need to get rid of the sin of our fathers. We need to confess and, and get right with God. And so when they began to do that, God began to move. One man's homecoming made a difference, didn't it? He led the people back out of the Babylonian captivity and he led a great revival in the nation of Israel because he decided to do something. Everybody stand. Bow your heads for just a moment. Sister Connie, come to the piano. And I want you to understand that, that one of the points, major points and, and ideas of this message, everybody bow your heads for just a moment, is that Nehemiah, didn't have the great lineage. He didn't have all this going for him. All it said was that Nehemiah had a father. He was just a plain, he was just a regular old guy that was just doing his job, just doing the mundane task that he was, he was to do, and that was actually serve a pagan king. And so when he started to do that, and the news came to him, he decided to do something about it. Now what a blessing that was, and it turns into an entire book of how that Nehemiah came and, and, and you read, well, I read you the story. I gave you the highlights. And one nation had a revival because one man got right with God. If that's you this morning, then I ask that you would come to the altar and just say, God, here I am. I, I'm, I'm not much. I, I don't have a great lineage. I don't have a lot of stuff going for me. But God, I have a heart to do something for you. God, I want to see the walls rebuilt. I want to see the people not a reproach anymore. God, I want to see your church do a great work for you. How's that going to start? By some people getting serious. Some people getting concerned about what's going on around us and getting serious about it. And coming and maybe confessing some sins. We don't like to talk about that much. But in order for God to use you, you've got to get rid of the sin. If you want God to do something in your life, you have to repent of the sin. And then when you do that, you start getting into His Word. And you start getting into His will. And you ask God, say, hey, God, what is your will for my life? God, what section of the wall would you have me build? God, what would you have me to do? God's got a job for you. If you're lost here in this house this morning, God has a will for your life. God has a perfect will for your life. 
But in order for that will to be accomplished, you have to come and you have to be saved and you have to get in the will of God. And if that's you this morning, I ask that you would come. I tell you that every single Sunday and I believe that God has me hammer that home. Somebody needs to be saved here this morning. But this message was mostly to the church, mostly to the Christian. And some people need to step up and they need to step out. And they need to ask God to do a work in their life. It may take one person to move. It may take one person getting where they need to be to have a church-wide revival. And that person may be you. I'm sure that Nehemiah didn't expect that that the city would be rebuilt because he decided to do something that day, but it was, and God blessed it. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your wonderful word. God, I thank you for the example of Nehemiah. God, I thank you that you told us about a man that was just an ordinary person living an ordinary life, and God, you did something great with him. God, you bless him. You bless his work and you bless his ministry. God, I pray that you would bless us. I'm glad that Nehemiah was able to help restore Jerusalem back to her glory so that the Jews, they could shine a light into the world and say that the only true God is our God. God, I hope that this church sets up on a hill and shines a light into a lost world. And so that we at Cookville Free Will Baptist Church and all the churches around could say, hey, there's one God and it is our God. God, please bless us. God, please bless the work that we do. God, I praise you. Lord, I thank you for all that you do. Thank you for this church and each one that's here. Thank you for the wonderful service that you've given us today. God, help us to make a difference on homecoming. God, we lift you up. Lord, we praise you. It's in the wonderful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.